0: listening to Unbound from Northeast Kansas Library System. To learn more about us, please visit nekls.org.
1: Today on Unbound, we are discussing youth programming with Sarah Howard, who is Youth and Community Services Manager for Daniel Boone Regional Library in Columbia, Missouri. I'm Anna Foote, Necklace Consultant, and I'm joined by my co-host and co-consultant, Dan Alexander. How's it going, Dan?
0: Hi, Anna. Uh, Well, today we are talking about kiddos, and you wanted to mention a national children's literacy program that might affect our listeners. Tell us about it.
1: Absolutely. It's the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, and that is a great philanthropic effort uh, by the singer Dolly Parton, very well-known singer, of course. And um, she thinks and believes that it's very important for children to have books in their homes. So um, through partnerships, local partnerships, they send books every month, to children starting from when they're born through age five or when they go to kindergarten and kids get a new book every every month. It's a pretty exciting time right here now in Kansas because there is a statewide effort to really increase the participation over the next couple of years and lots of public libraries are participating. So if you don't know about the program, you can actually uh, refer parents or caregivers to the program and they can go online and see if it, there's a program available in their area and sign up and individuals can make donations through that page too and it's just imaginationlibrary.com that takes you to the international organization.
0: Well thanks for that update. Who doesn't love Dolly? So Sarah, we're honored to have you here to start us off. What should our listeners know about you?
2: Let's see. Well, I'm happy to be here and I thought maybe I'd just revisit a couple things about how I got to the job that I'm I'm at right now. Um, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. My father was actually in library science as well as ministry work uh, when I was younger, and he was an academic librarian who happened to teach children's literature. So, of course, books were brought home, and I have many fond memories of going to the library with him on a college campus and helping unbox books and and helping shelf books and all that good stuff. In college, I decided that I wanted to do something with words, but it took me a a couple of years to figure out what it was that I wanted to do with words. I'm not a great writer, so I think supporting writers and supporting readers, um, I found my place. And while I worked at a small public library in West Virginia and did do a stint in cataloging in college at an academic library, I was thrilled to find, a home here at Daniel Ben Regional Library and uh, Youth services.
1: Cool. That's great. Sarah, another question. Why is music an important addition to children's programming? And uh, what are some ways that library staff can incorporate music into activities, especially for those staff who don't consider themselves musical or musically talented?
2: That's really tough. I have always enjoyed music. And in fact, one of my loves is uh, pretty vintage children's music books when I can find them, uh, just to see what what were kids singing back in the day, and how can we maybe um, help those songs live today uh, if they're if they're worthy to live today. So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and when I started doing story times here at the library and uh, talking to other peers across the state, music seemed to be a thing that people either did or didn't do in programming. And one of the reasons is you feel kind of on stage when you're singing a song versus reading a book sometimes. and. I call it the concert syndrome. You're suffering from the concert syndrome. But really the idea behind music and stories is for, for everybody to sing together. And so to look for those folk songs that you know uh, from your childhood, things that kids can uh, easily learn. And in fact, everything you look for in a good picture book is what you look for in a good song. Rhyme, rhythm repetition. And songs are very personal to kids. And that's the other cool thing. Music is just one of those things that um, is universal, that everybody can enjoy. And also, it has a developmental reason. Songs tend to have vocabulary that kids haven't heard before, due to the rhyming, just like books. And also, when you sing a song, or I just say the phrase, Mary had a little lamb to you. And you're thinking, yeah, great. Mary had a little lamb. But if you sing that, Mary had a little lamb, it's breaking apart the words for the kids. It's breaking apart the syllables. They can kind of hear how words are put together. So that's another added benefit that people don't think about when you think about uh, singing with kids. And I'm a big, big believer in having all kinds of opportunities for kids and music. So for example, it's okay to play a song on a CD. That's okay. Dance around, learn the words with them, everything. But you need to also put the CD player away at some point because the other thing they're learning is to literally find their own voice. So their ability to hear themselves singing with a group of people helps them in their future, helps them do public speaking even, anything you can do to let them hear their voice. We also love the songs that are called zipper songs that you can zip different things in and out of because that also allows them some ownership of the song and gives them a chance to decide what you're going to sing about next. And of course, the most I don't want to say famous one would be Old MacDonald had a farm where you can zip different animals out or, you know, dinosaurs or sea creatures or whatever uh, you need to do. There are also many picture books out there that have music in them, which is fun, too, where you can sing the book or there might be the music in the back for folks. So there's a lot more emphasis on music these days, I think, than there were way back in the day when I first started.
0: That was really bringing me back to all those different songs that we used to sing, especially uh, in grade school. (laughs) So speaking of ages, what is your favorite children's age group to work with and why?
2: Oh, that's such a loaded question, Dan. Um, It's like picking your favorite child. My answer is going to be odd, but I think families is my favorite children's age group to work with. I love it when it's the entire family. And the reason, I think, is because then everybody's experiencing the same songs, the same books, the same activities. They can build on it when they go home. They can have a bonding moment, so to speak, uh, with the family. Back in the day, when story times kind of first began, we were space limited here at my building, and maybe some other listeners out there understand that, where to be able to fit in as many kids as you could in a small space, parents were actually not allowed in the room, uh, unless there was a reason that they needed to be in there for to help their child for a developmental reason or, or something like that. We, we tried really hard that our ages three to five were were, were in in alone, and that of course, led to all kinds of fun things, but also it um, really ended the idea that the parent knew what was going on and that they could sing the songs with them in the car. So I was really happy when here we got more space and the ability to have families together and then started, of course, staffing up a little bit so that we could have more sessions uh, since it became uh, something that a lot of patrons wanted to come to. Uh, were our story times. So over the years, um, of course, gotten to work with all age groups, and each one has its own joy. I mean, there's nothing better than talking to elementary age kids about their favorite books, and uh, doing a vote through the semester on favorite books. Uh, We had something called uh, Heavy Metal, which was uh, exploring books uh, that potentially could win the Newberry Award. And it was always a joy to hear their thoughts on those books and their, uh, and they always had things I hadn't thought about. And that's the joy of library work in general, when you think about it, is we have a job where we get to come to work and we get to learn things every day, whether it's a word, whether it's what a patron needs, whether it's uh, something library skill related, um, book-related, it's, it's an ongoing joy.
1: So, Sarah, we found a TV clip of you from last year, 2021, talking about how reading stories can instill empathy and a respect for diversity in children and in adults. Can you talk a little bit about how that works?
2: We all know that in the publishing world, it has been struggling to get voices heard from different cultures over the years. I'm going to use the royal we. We're all doing much better in acknowledging that that is an issue um, and that children and adults need to see themselves in materials and what they're reading. Now, if you pick up any children's literature textbook, or any education textbook um, that has a chapter on literature and working with kids, it will mention windows and mirrors. It doesn't matter. It could be a newspaper article. It could be a magazine. Um, it's going to say that when you read something, which makes total sense, you're either seeing yourself reflected back and that gives you comfort, right? Oh, someone else is. oh, I'm not alone. Or you're looking through a window into a, a life or a culture, or an experience that you do not know anything about. And books can do that. And I haven't heard the word bibliotherapy a lot lately, but that's what we used to call it in terms of trying to find a book that a reader might need at that time. There's windows and mirrors, and then there's the sliding glass door. And that's harder to explain. But I was uh, with some really smart people on the Caldecott, Uh, committee, and they wrote an article, and it was uh, trying to explain the sliding glass door moment. They were discussing a book called Wonder, which some of your uh, listeners might be familiar with, has a character named Augie that has some facial abnormalities, and of course is being, you know, made fun of and has some traumatic events at school, and they were working with kids in a classroom with that book, and they read the book. And then later on, one of the students in their journal said that they were at the grocery store and they saw a man with one arm. And they immediately started to look away. But then they thought of Augie and the book Wonder. And they looked the guy straight in the eyes and said, hi, how are you today? You know, so that's kind of like taking what you're reading and, and putting it into your everyday life and, and learning in that way and learning empathy that way. So that's kind of an interesting thing to think about, too. And we do that a lot with nonfiction, of course, and fixing things and things like that. But on an emotional level, books can also do that um, and it can also be very personal. I talk to a lot of people, regardless of age, that 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 truly believe a book was for them. And nobody else in the entire world would possibly want to read that book or could understand that book. So reading's also very personal to folks. Um, and so as the publishing world gets better and better at finding authors that can tell these stories and, giving, and, and, and putting them to the forefront, um, I think we can all do better. One of the things we can do is in programming, is making sure that the music that we pick and the stories that we pick for story time are also diverse and don't always have animal characters only. Exploring different types of art and the different types of language that people use. And even though we don't speak those languages, our ability to maybe use one or two words and learn one or two words and maybe replace the word cat in a song and you know, teach everybody learns a new word can't be underestimated. One of the favorite things we've done here over the years is every couple of years, we'll have either a globe or a map, and we will invite families to put where they came from And since we're a big university town, there are pins everywhere. And then in some of our programs, we've asked mothers to share, especially the infant programs, because the infant programs, it's really all about the parents. They're just trying to get out of the house and to have a moment with their one month old or two month old and to bond with other parents. So there's some time where you can talk and, and share. And, and one of my favorite things to do is to have folks from other countries and cultures sing a lullaby in their language. Like, you know, well, we've got this. What, what do you guys have? What's your favorite thing? And then all the mothers and fathers and Of course, grandmothers and even nannies in the room get to learn something new about a different song that a child loves uh, on that. So that's just fun. But, um, But anything we can do to help people understand each other, and books is a way to do that.
1: Thank you for that, Sarah.
0: As we come to the end, what didn't we talk about today that you'd like our listeners to know?
2: I think it's hard in our day-to-day life to remember what's going on in the rest of the country in library work, and one thing that's obviously ramped up lately is the intellectual freedom issues, Uh, even though most of these are taking place in school systems around the country. uh, There have been some public libraries that have had some challenges, and to be able to support to support that and intellectual freedom and the library bill of rights and to revisit those documents. Um, And if your library happens to not have the policy out there for people to read, you might wanna dust it off. Um, We just did that with our staff here recently just to make everybody aware of uh, why we do what we do, why we have the materials that we do have uh, and to be able to support if for example, you have a peer that suddenly is going through a hard time. And of course, ALA has great resources for people on that. The other thing that I haven't done too much research on, but I've been keeping my eye out on over the years is the privatization of public libraries. And that is very concerning to me. Uh, It seems to only, as like I said, I haven't done a ton of research. It seems to be happening a lot in states or cities where the public library is Uh, run by the city, that they are city employees. Um, We are not here in Missouri. We are um, tax supported, property tax supported. We are not city employees. So we don't have the challenge of having to get city funds up against a new fire truck or, you know, a new 911 system or Trash collection or something like that, so I can see where it sounds really good to a, an organization or a city that they could run a library more cheaply. We can do it cheaper for you. Um, and so I I have to admit, I'm a little concerned for the next 20, 30 years in the public library world. And the fact that that uh, Whether it's a librarian or someone that's a library associate that's worked here for years, they know tons of things. It's not just a simple transaction of taking something out of a building and bringing it back. Um, There's a lot more work that goes into it, a lot more collaboration that goes into it with the community. So just trying in my little spot in the library world to keep an eye out and see how I can support uh, the profession where when bigger things come down the pike Um, Just to kind of keep an eye out. And it's hard. It's hard to keep track of of everything that's going on. So just even signing up for one listserv could could help you in terms of keeping up with things on that and just trying to take any any opportunity that you have to meet other librarians to see how their neck of the woods is going. Um, I think is really important because though one of my favorite things is singing silly songs in front of families and kids and and sending them on their merry way to to have fun at home with those songs and things there is a bigger purpose for for public libraries to to be here in the world
0: great points big points to leave us with thank you sarah for helping us kick off our second season of our knuckles podcast we really appreciate
1: being here Absolutely.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Yay.
1: Yes. Yay. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah.
0: (laughs) Talk to you later.